Hi, my name's Diane. I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic. And I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you very much for asking me to speak. It is two days after American Thanksgiving, and um, it's part of our recruiting season. (laughs) And um, I remember looking ahead to holidays like this and all I thought of was dessert because that was my thing. I grew up in a family where food, you know, here's the thing. In my experience, my experience has changed over time. And um, I grew up in a normal East Coast Canadian waspy family in a small town. And um, I was one of five kids, two parents. My grandma lived with us. We had three meals a day, snack after school, and there was dessert around. And I felt as if I had a pretty normal existence. I, I was in a group of friends. I was a popular kid. I participated in all sorts of things. And at the same time, I was a lonely kid. I um, loved my parents. We had a summer place. The kids, all the five kids of us were taught to be really close. And um, I remember my first diet when I was in grade, I can only, I can't, I can't use your terms. So I was in grade 10. We only have 11. And um, I was, wanted to wear a size 9 prom dress. Um, and I went on a diet and um, did some exercise. And when I went on something, I did it pretty rigidly. And um, I got down to the size I wanted to be, and then that summer I ate, every, I didn't eat all day because I was gonna keep this weight. Didn't eat all day and then ate like full family-sized portions of desserts at night, every night. And um, couldn't understand why I didn't keep the weight off. And um, because in that thinking that happens to us and the denial that I experienced, I couldn't figure out what the problem was. I went to college young, I was the youngest kid in the class, and um, I lost my mother to suicide when I was at college. And I was 17, it was two weeks before I turned 18. I was traumatized, devastated, in shock, absolute PTSD. I had no, I, I couldn't believe it. It's 40 odd years ago and it still takes my breath away to think about it. Because as a kid, as a young woman, my mother died and my mother killed herself. And to have a mother who kills herself means your mother doesn't want to live or can't live. So as a young woman trying to find my identity, what's the matter with us? Our mother doesn't even want to live. And um, from that day, until I was 29 and a half, so 12 and a half, almost 12 years, I was numb. And I learned how to do things by road a long time before that. I went to college, I finished my undergrad, I got A's, I worked, I went to graduate school, financed it myself. No family came to my college graduation. No family came to my graduate school graduation. I was by myself. 
And that was what I learned to do. I discovered diet pills in graduate school, not legal in Canada, but you know us, we can figure things out. And um, ha, I went through a two-year program in 11 months. I have no idea what I learned to this day, but it's a great degree. And um, you know, it, it talks in our 12 and 12, we hid and we ate. And hid, I could hide out in the middle of the world, in the middle of a big job, and think, in, think of things that were going on in terms of food. That guy said something I didn't like, I'll eat a chocolate cake later. But I didn't just eat it, I chewed it and spit it out. And I had a sponsee call me this week and say, I know somebody shared in a meeting they're a spitter, can they call you? Of course they can call me. I never heard of it in meetings for years, I rarely hear of it in meetings. I have these great teeth, I had braces, I wasn't going to wreck them by throwing up, and I wasn't going to keep the food and get obese, so what's my option? Chew it and spit it out. It worked for years, worked for years until it didn't work anymore. I was 29 and a half. I had, after my mother's suicide, I was sent to various doctors. And in those days, we're talking in the 70s, nobody talked about after a suicide within a family. Nobody ever dealt with what happened afterwards. And I was given pills and I, I collected them all in a shoebox. And I had a shoebox full of pills from various doctors in various cities because I moved. And I was going to take them when I turned 30. Because my theory was, by the time I turned 30, I will have tried 13 years to try and have a life after my mother's suicide. And nobody could say I didn't try. Because I tried. I showed up. I ran a marathon. I did this. I did that. I did service. I went to church. I did, all sor I did anything I could think of. Everything and anything I could think of to get better. Whatever that meant. And... I was with friends, um, and one of them said, oh, if I can't lose weight, I'm going to have to go to that Overeaters Anonymous. And in that way, many of us did back then. My ears perked up, but I didn't let on that I'd heard what she said, because I'd never heard of Overeaters Anonymous. But I can remember there was an AA convention in Montreal when I lived there in 1986, I think. And downtown in all the bars, it's a very small, Montreal's a small town, actually, and all the downtown is close by. And... All these people were sitting in bars and laughing and having a great time and drinking soft drinks. And I remember thinking, like really being angry because I did not understand, like, what was this? What, how could they, they all know, seem to know each other and be friendly and I was at the bar with my friends having, you know, beer or something. Um, I wasn't a drinker because I didn't want to lose control, but, you know, I, I didn't want to be them, you know. And, um, but I never forgot that sense of freedom that I knew was, I couldn't even, you know, it took years to figure out what it was I had experienced. It was a freedom. It was them. It was a gathering of people in a fellowship. And um, I then heard this woman talk about going up to Overeaters Anonymous. By this point, I'd been transferred to New York. And in those days, I went, looked in the phone book and um, Overeaters Anonymous and called the number and there was a meeting the next night um, near me. And I was a runner in those days trying to keep the weight off and I ran, ended up at the meeting late, stood in the back and I heard somebody um, talking at the front about a food plan and God and what they were going to be doing that weekend and I couldn't understand it because I'd been to Weight Watchers and... But there was something in that meeting, it was July 8th of 1987, 
And I went home from that meeting, and I had a tiny little apartment in New York, and I sat on the edge of my bathtub, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I had no idea what had happened. I didn't know you were allowed to go more than once a week, and if you're new, you can go five times a day if you want, and listen to podcasts and do all sorts of things. In those days, there weren't as many meetings, and I went the following Wednesday. The last binge I had was in that week. The following Wednesday was July was July, well, I went up to a meeting on July 14th of 1987, and that was the beginning of my current abstinence. And um, I couldn't believe that there were people like me. And I was thinking about this last night, about how I got here, and the, and the sense of freedom immediately, that there were people, that there was like this underground group of us, like I still sort of feel, you know, that we... We see the world in our way. I see the world in my way, and sort of, it used to be in a really food way, you know, and in those days you carried around quarters and you made calls at payphones, and you call, I called people all the time, and they encouraged us from the very beginning to make phone calls, to go to meetings, all the wonderful tools you see, although we didn't have our OA 12 and 12 back then, we had the AA 12 and 12, and that's what I grew up on. Those are the step meetings that we, in OA, we used that literature, the AA literature in our step meetings. I, um, I met people in those meetings, one of whom was with me this morning and just flew off to New York in 1987. In those days, um, we, a lot of people went to see a nutritionist. Not much has changed. That's the great thing about program. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the steps, it's the traditions, it's the tools, it's having a sponsor. It's, it's showing up for things. We did intergroup. We did workshops. I had a sponsor. I did the steps in a very 12-step format, and it was really, really helpful. I think one of the, um, the most important things that happened for me was this sense of release, and I couldn't quite explain. It was almost like a pressure cooker. I didn't realize that I'd been hanging on so much. I do remember that in my first three weeks of abstinence, first couple of months of abstinence, I couldn't, because I wasn't eating and I wasn't carrying bagels on dates in my purse so I could go in the bathroom and chew them and spit them out and all that other stuff, I was walking into traffic. I wasn't, I, I had trouble being in the world without this substance, even in this weird way I was using it. I had trouble remembering things. I had trouble coordinating things and it took a, it took some time in abstinence to put things in their um, rightful place in the world and I was going out of town on business about six I didn't have a sponsor because I was too afraid to ask somebody because I was too afraid they'd say no and if you're new I encourage you to please ask somebody call somebody there's phone lists there's numbers everywhere you will find a sponsor and um, you're allowed to have as many as you want and um, I asked her to sponsor me because I was afraid that I, because my abstinence was the most important thing in my life since then. And um, I was afraid I would lose my abstinence and I didn't think I would stop because I had come very close, I'd had suicidal ideation, I'd come very close to it and um, I don't know if I have another recovery in me and that's part of why I've hung on to it so long um, and, and a day at a time um, intend to do what I need to do today. And my sponsor showed up for me. She showed up for me for a long, long time, probably uh, 20 years. She was my sponsor, and um, she knew everything about me. She um, helped me with things. She helped me with feelings. Uh, 
one time she told me she couldn't talk to me because I was being a victim and I was furious at her, but she was right, and I've done it to my sponsees. Ha. Um, so it shows you that, you know, you learn. Um, but I think one of the most important ways she helped me, two things. One was she kept bringing it back to God. I didn't have a God in my life. If there was a God, how could my mother kill herself? If there was a God, how could this happen? I gave up on that way of thinking. And what if, she said, just for today, you trusted that this meeting could turn it, just for today, turn it over. Just this meeting, just this one little thing. Well, okay, but just for this one thing, and I get to take it back later. Okay, just trust for this. And that became our regular conversation. What's going on? Well, you know, tomorrow I have a date. Okay, can you trust just, just for the date that turn it over to God? Oh, well, okay, but just for the date. And this went on and on and on. Just for this one instance, can I turn it over? Just for this one instance, can I turn it over? For that thing, can I turn it over? Can I trust that I'll get there, do that, have that, be enough, have enough, do enough, eat enough, whatever it is? Can I trust just for that one thing? And, you know, years of doing that brought me a faith. Because, again, when I turned back and looked at it, all those times that I had trusted just that one time, it turned out. It all, even in the middle of things seeming to fall apart, when I look back on them the next day, week, month, year, they always have turned out better than I imagined. And I mean always. And, um, you know, that became the basis of what I consider my faith, my trust in God, my belief in a higher power, whatever it is. I believe that I'm being taken care of all the time, no matter what, even in the midst of things I can't imagine. And um, she also took me to a meditation workshop on July 3rd of 2003. And that is when I started a meditation practice that I still have today on a daily basis. Started at three minutes, couldn't focus on anything. What's the big deal? Why do people do this? This is stupid. To 20 minutes this morning, can hardly wait to do it, and then now I've been ordered to do it a second time um, in the afternoon, which is way harder to stop in the middle of the day, I must say. Um, but I uh, do it, even if it's five minutes. And it's those, it's the rote of doing this for the newcomers. It's the doing the thing every day. It's the exercising the muscle. And speaking of exercising, I'm an exerciser, and that's been really important. And, you know, We've all heard it said somewhere, perhaps, but certainly in the rooms we've heard talk of OA and the, all the 12-step programs being the greatest social movement of the 20th century. Believe me, that's absolutely my belief. And um, this program has taught me how to have a life. It's taught me how to be in relationships. It's taught me how to show up. It's taught me how to look at my own part in things, which I never thought I had because I wanted to blame them. It taught me to look at my defects of character, my fear on top of everything, my intolerance, my judgment, um, my self-pity, all that stuff that I did without knowing it. And I think one of the things that this program allows us to do is shine a light on it. What am I doing? How did I get myself into this? Oh, I did this and this and this. And I didn't do that and that and that. And the result is this. And because... I love numbers and math. I've discovered that even in this program, I can look at almost anything as an equation in a really good way. And the other thing is about food. I ate things that uh, the next day I wish I hadn't eaten, and my sponsor said something great to me that really helped me. She said, you know what? That's information, right? The first time you do it, that's information. You do it again, you're making a choice, and that's up to you. 
and we can talk about that. But that was so helpful because I grew up, I'm dumb and stupid and ugly and, I, and I'll never have enough and I'm not smart enough and I don't know enough and, you know, and why, why, why don't I have this and why don't I have that? And, you know, I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. That's a mantra that I learned. I believe we rewire our brains in these programs. I believe that it's possible and now I've been listening to all this stuff on neuroplasticity and how the brain can change its whole life. And I really believe they know that pe brains of people who meditate deeply are different. And, and I think ours are because um, it allows, this program has allowed me to let go. Let go of, um, I mean, nothing's perfect. We all have things to work on, thank God. But let go of so much of, I do anyway, the tightness and the rigidity and the, I have to do it right and I have to do it perfectly and um, it was really really hard for me to put myself at the top of the list my same sponsor who left the program in 07 I think and I hope she's well and I love her I don't think she went out I think she just moved on to other things and um, I'm so grateful for her and what she taught me and um, I uh, have dealt with a number of medical issues in particular the last 12 years and um, 15 months ago I was walking across the street having my morning walk that I have three days a week walking across the street took a step onto the sidewalk that's all I remember and next thing I know I'm lying on the ground screaming with um, a gash on my face no idea what happened still don't know what happened but um, it left me with a brain trauma and um, it's changed my life and I have had to go through with the program, with God, with the steps, asking for help, remembering I'm not alone, uh, experiencing things differently, my so-called sharp brain is different and um, it's a program that helps me go forward. It's the program that teaches me that just for today, you know, I can do what I need to do. And there's a lot of days I can't drive, so thank God for the car services. And I can call people and say, can you just remind me that the world isn't falling apart and, and, uh, and I'll be okay. You know, and I, um, in the way these odd things work, I was in the middle of having a I couldn't find the right doctor. I've been to numerous doctors out here. Should I go and see this person? Oh, no, you don't need to do that. Should I go and see that person? Oh, no, you don't need to do that. You've had the this and you've had the that. I was on the table having a massage and I was texting. I was dictating, of course, because I can't do one thing. Dictating a text to my doctor saying, I feel crazy. Something seems to be wrong. Should I go to the ER? She heard me doing that. She made a phone call to her, one of her patients, who's a big doctor in New York, which is where I happen to be. And, you know, I heard her say in the phone, I think she's in psychosis. And I sat up on the table. I am not in psychosis. I'm just having a hard time. Because in program, there's a big, we know the difference. Because I am sane in this program. But that led to me seeing the most amazing doctors in New York, which wasn't my plan, and getting some of the help I've needed for, for this whole time. And, you know, that's how God works. It's like, I put out what I needed. Somebody overheard it. Somebody offered to help. Somebody did something. And for today, I'm doing the next right thing in front of me, and I'm showing up. And we had 20, I don't even know, 28, I think, at Thanksgiving at the house. My girlfriend from program and I got everything ready, and I used to try and control everything. So on Thanksgiving Day at 8 o'clock at night, all the kids under 30, which was like 12 of them, decided to go swimming in the pool. 
I can't, I didn't want, I wanted us to like sit in the living room and have adult conversation and play music. Nope. They wanted to jump around in the pool. So what? So what? That's what I've learned in here. Oh, well, so what? Um, and I think my time is about over for this part. Um, I, okay. I will say that one of the things that I heard a long time ago in a program meeting was recovery is a lot about loss. An old timer said that. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound too good. What, what does that mean? But, but I've learned that for me, what it means is integrating the losses that I experience in this life. From the loss of my mother, which I've been working on on some level all these years and shockingly continue to because things never end. I always thought that thing would be over and then I'd move on to the next thing in my life. But the things don't do that. There's like layers and layers and layers. And um, I, one of my best friends in program I met in 1987 could not stop throwing up. Killed herself in 2009, left three young children, something she swore she'd never do. And um, I feel for those young kids because I've been there. And um, her ex-husband, I was at the funeral and I've offered to talk to him or the kids anytime. So that's all I can do is, is offer. I have pictures. I knew their mom better than anybody because um, I saw her all the time and I, she wrote me letters and all of that. But you know what? God's in charge and it, everybody will know what they need to know when they need to know it. That's my belief. And I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, uh, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Does anybody have any questions? Yes. Hi. Um, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to hear you. Always a standard question, but it's also important for me to understand always what other people's spirituality is about. With all that you've been through, um, how did you come to find out a higher power that worked for you? The question is about uh, my spirituality and how, over the years, did I find a higher power that came to work for me. The basis of it for me was one incident at a time, one opportunity at a time with my sponsor's help just for this one opportunity. Can I trust that I'm going to be taken care of, that there's a God, that there's a higher power? And in between those turnover times, I generally took it back. Um, and I discovered that over literally days, weeks, months, and years of turning things over and really believing, can, you know, really trusting just for this two, three, four, five, ten hour period, I will, I'm willing, I will turn this over to whatever is up there to a higher power, which is a great description, um, especially for the newcomers, of something more than me. As we were taught, it can be a doorknob. It can be anything as long as it's not you. And that was really helpful for me. And that turned into a daily practice. That turned into talking to God regularly. That turned into reading more about God. 
I'm reading the very dry book that's referred to by old-time AA speakers, Varieties of Religious Experience, and I mean dry. Um, but I'm listening to it because I was taught to try and like keep learning, keep going, keep finding out more, keep seeking. That's what our 11th step talks about, sought through prayer and meditation, and I really try and do that on a daily basis. Thank you. Questions? How has your uh, food plan changed over the years? My, it's interesting. My food plan, I come from being anorexic bulimic, uh, the bulimic being the spitting food. And um, I also come from rigid diets. And uh, I made the mistake in New York in 1988 of going to what was there called a gray sheet meeting and was on the OA meeting list. And their motto was you eat exactly this many ounces of this and thus and such and that's that. No bite, no lick, no taste outside of that or you've broken your abstinence. Well, that was how I treated myself my whole life, beating myself up all the time. That didn't work for me because that's what I was trying to escape from was the rigidity. That's just my experience. I've also heard people who've lost 100 or 200 or 300 or 1,000 pounds talk about how they need that. So we all come from different experiences. And so for me, today even, my, my abstinence is no binging, no spitting up, no throwing up, no diet pills. That's my bottom line. My food plan is, it had to change a little bit with some things that are going on physically, but it's three meals a day and two, three, two meals, three snacks a day generally. Um, I didn't grow up being a breakfast eater, and I'm still not a great breakfast eater, but you know what? I am doing my best to do what I'm, uh, what's suggested to me to do. Thank you. Oh, and my sponsor knows what I'm eating or not eating. That's really helpful for the newcomers especially, uh, that somebody understands your food and knows what you're eating and um, how much of it for me is really helpful as well. So my sponsor could tell somebody what my abstinence is, and that to me means I'm working appropriately with a sponsor on that issue. Hi. And, um, with your recent health struggles, um, it probably seems like you're not going 100 or 150% right now. What spiritual tools are you using to sort of deal with that? I am talking to God a lot. I am asking for help and asking God what is next. Um, and I'm led to things. And um, I've also discovered in my old rigid way, I had to stick with something, whether it worked or not. And I've discovered in this program with the help of people that I can um, let go of things and trust again with God that I'll find the next right thing I need to. And um, there's, you know, there's, I I saw a flyer on a talk that I won't be in town for about um, like, like the, the good outcomes of trauma, like the, what you can learn from going through traumatic experiences. Um, I think they were referring to, I don't know what they were referring to, um, but it was, it's been the spiritual, I was thinking about that just in the last couple of days. I don't know how I would have gotten through this without spirituality because I've been taught and it's been brought to my attention in the, really in the last year, um, separate from this, from what's going on physically, that a definition of humility that I love is humility is the willingness to accept things as they are. And I thought, oh my God, is that it? 
That, that is a definition of humility? Wow, I love it. Because that means not what if, why didn't, how could, how come, uh-uh. What it is today. And um, that brings me closer to God. That whole sense of, you know, like it says in the steps, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings which I work on all the time. Help me let go of this fear. Help me let go of this new anxiety that I've never had before. Help me turn this over. Help me try and be of service. Help me show up. Help me return that phone call to the young woman who wants a spitter to talk to. Glad to do it. That's what I'm taught in here, and that's how my spirituality helps me just try and show up. Thank you. Thank you so much for your sharing. Assuming you have some anger at your mom and all that correct me if I'm wrong um, you had to work to heal that relationship even Yes, thank you very much for asking. I spent so many years feeling guilt and shame I didn't feel the anger until 1992 five years uh, abstinent in the program I was doing outside work in a 12 step everybody in there happened to be in 12 step but I was doing um, something called psychodrama, which was incredibly helpful for me because I had been too afraid to get angry at her because I was afraid I'd lose her forever, even though she was already dead. So in that context, I found um, and expelled a lot of, as far as I know, uh, most of the anger I had about losing a mother. and also separately about my father. And what um, I learned was that my goal was integration and feelings will constantly come up. I didn't know we had feelings all day, every day about everything that goes on. I had no idea because I was eating everything. So when I stopped eating and discovered I had feelings, I was rather horrified. And the program has taught me a way to process it. I will say, Um, that my very first year of absence was all about what to eat, when to eat it, how not to eat that, where to find what I needed to eat. My second year was all about being angry. Everything made me angry, and that was my experience. After I'd been abstinent long enough and the food went in its right place, I was angry about everything. And, you know, I did not have any of that humility about willingness to accept things as they are. I wanted things my way, and I was enraged that they weren't. And I had so much anger. It's interesting, in the last couple of years, there have been articles about how children and grandchildren are feeling the experience in their bodies of things that didn't even happen to them, that happened generations prior. And I think there may be some of that going on as well. I don't know. But for today, I'm just showing up and doing what's in front of me. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Um, what can you tell us about your experience of the value and the benefit to you of service? Oh, not knowing that as much as you do. Um, I, service is anything we do in and for and um, relating to the program. Although it may not seem like it, because you help somebody across the street or you do all these things that we're taught to do in here. So, in the olden days, when they talked about service. The really old days, they talked about cleaning ashtrays and, um, you know, putting chairs out and, and, you know, putting them out and taking them away and uh, manning, personing the literature table and making phone calls and going to meetings is service and being a sponsor is service. And I was thinking about that. Um, I um, have done service in meetings. I have done a lot of service 
at the birthday party, um, particularly with, with trying to figure out panels and speakers and marathons and things, which I love doing, and at um, conventions, and um, it helps me. And it used to get me to meetings when I didn't want to go to meetings. It would keep me from eating in the early years, and there's a reason they tell newcomers to get a service position, because you've got to show up. And it's a great way of being in the program. And um, I, I'm not the perfect sponsor, speaking of service. I do service as a sponsor. I travel a lot. And with especially this last year, it's kind of like, please just keep. I was taught you keep calling your sponsor. You don't expect your sponsor to call you back all the time. It's like you make 10 calls for every one you get back from your sponsor. That's what I was taught. And that's kind of how I live it, even though I, with texting, it's much easier to respond, which I do my best to do. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Diane. You mentioned PTSD. How long did it take you to acclimate? What exactly was it accumulated effect of experiences of acknowledging certain things? What? How long did it take you? Are you fully acclimated? Um, thank you for the question, and I've been forgetting to repeat the questions. This one was about PTSD and becoming acclimated to it. Um, to, to myself or integrating the experience. It took, for, in, my, in my case, it took a very long time, partly because nobody talked about it and no, it didn't exist. I've been reading a book about the, the beginnings of the use of the term, and in the 70s, when all these um, vets were coming back, they didn't have a term for it. And um, they've now discovered that it applies to many more things than... This is just my understanding of it. It applies to many more things than just technical war. And um, I had no idea that trauma could fit under that umbrella. And coming to program has, been, has healed me in a way I never would have known, believed. I didn't do it for that purpose. But finding myself here with other people and being able to share my experience and hear their experience and work the steps and have a sponsor and people who listen has been life-changing for me. Okay, thank you. Carol. Um, thanks for sharing, Diane. Uh, you talked about meditation and how in the beginning it was three minutes and you could barely compromise and now it's much better, it's easier in the morning. Uh, how did you get from point A to point B or this C, D, E, whatever point it is? Because I'm, I'm definitely an A and I don't foresee ever B. <laughs> how, did you, how did you mature as a meditator? It, thank you. The question was how did I... Um, progress in my meditation practice and um, that three minutes was endless and um, in the meditation I didn't know there were I don't know what the number is I know there's at least a hundred different kinds of meditating there's probably 10,000 different kinds of meditation because I think everybody does their own spin on it from my experience I was taught something called a body scan uh, I didn't realize it but I had my what is she I call her the wizard there's some like cranial sacral person I zip up to Mount Kisco to see in New York and I couldn't even tell you what she does but but it helps <laughs> and I lay on the table and we talk about it and and it's very much a sense of body scanning and she she literally walks in the room which is almost feels as big as this and she'll stand in the corner over there and go oh you are, you are so not in your body you're way over here and that has been a lot of my experience is trying to get in my body. So my, my technique I was taught was like start at the top of my head. And literally, three minutes goes very fast when you're doing this. Top of the head, hair, forehead, eyebrows, eyes, cheekbones, cheeks, 
top of the head, head, neck, shoulders. That takes about three minutes at least because I sidetrack and think about the shopping list and everything else. <laughs> then I bring myself back to wherever I was. And it took me months to get through the whole body. Months to ever like, now I can like scan all the way down, you know, and I neck, shoulders, upper arm, elbow, lower arm, wrist, out, two arms, you know, back down here, corpse, you know, waist, hips, butt, thighs, knees, calves, what's there, heels, feet, toes, out. That's my, that keeps me in my body. But that's a method that works for me because I needed to be in my body. Other people keep their eyes open and stare at a flame or I don't know what they do, hang on to rocks I've seen. Um, but that has helped me and it really sort of checks my mind because if I don't get through the full scan, it's because I went off sideways somewhere and I've just thought to come back, just come back. And there's so many, there's, I'm not going to name them, but there's all these meditation apps you can get and some people swear by them. I have a great meditator who I've also gone to see here and she has a free CD online that are guided meditations, which can be helpful because you're li literally listening to somebody through the whole thing. I'm happy to talk more about it. Thank you. One last question. Hi. How has program changed your relationship with your siblings? Well, one of them's in program. Amazing to me because she saw the difference. I was taken to Al-Anon. I know this is an Overeaters Anonymous meeting, but I was taken to Al-Anon by my wonderful sponsor because she said, you are eating over people, places, and things. And I got mad at her, of course. Um, but it was really interesting because it turned out that by and large those were the triggers. People weren't doing what I wanted them to do. Things weren't where I wanted them to be. You know, situations weren't how I wanted them and I didn't know what to do about it. And I learned letting go in another whole way, but it all, and it helped my food and it helped my relationships in here and it helped everything. And that's um, yet another. And I will not sponsor people unless they go to Al-Anon as well because I don't want to deal with those issues in here. I want to deal with this program. I want to focus on what goes on in here, what do I need to do today, how can I be of service to others, where is God in your life, what step are you on, who's your sponsor, those are the questions we were taught in the early days. That's how you knew somebody was working a program and that and what's your home group. And um, do I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Do I do my best today to be of service and show up for people and, you know, treat others as I would like to be treated? I do. And I'm really grateful to be here, and I think we're out of time. Thank you. Wow.